Welcome to In My Backyard, an open conversation about children and mental health. We all know a child who's struggling, whether that child tells us or not. In this podcast, we speak with experts on the many factors of emotional distress in children, how to address those factors, and how to create a community where all children can be healthy and happy. This podcast is made possible through generous donations from supporters and listeners like you. Please visit tgclb.org or text HOPE to 562-262-5689 to make a one-time donation or join our Hope and Healing Club to become a monthly donor today. Your host is Trisha Costales, CEO of the Guidance Center, a nonprofit children's mental health agency in Long Beach, California. I'm Trisha Costales, your host of In My Backyard. I'm a licensed clinical social worker and the chief executive officer of the Guidance Center, a nonprofit children's mental health agency serving 3,500 children and families every year. today's podcast, we're going to take a deeper dive into a topic we've touched upon in several prior episodes. That is, the role of parent partners in the children's mental health system. According to United Parents, a nonprofit focused on the concept of parents helping parents, a parent partner is a clinically supervised paraprofessional who has raised a child with a mental, emotional, or behavioral disorder. They understand the frustration, being blamed, losing hope, losing patience, and all the challenges that go with raising children with mental health needs. Most of the published research to date explores the role of parent partners in child welfare, that is, child protective services in the foster care system. The California Department of Social Services reports, there's growing evidence that parent partner programs are an essential strategy to promote engagement an increased reunification among families and children that are involved in the child welfare system. According to Casey Family Programs, a national nonprofit influencing policy change to better the lives of children, the inclusion of parent partners in programming helps to instill hope, promote self-advocacy, connect families to services, and promote an agency culture shift to one that engages authentically with families. Casey Family Programs notes that there is an inherent power differential between families served and those serving them. The power gaps are socioeconomic, educational, and systemic in nature. The clinician or caseworker will always hold more power in the relationship when only one side is sharing personal details and subject to mandated child abuse reporting despite the best efforts of therapists to engage clients with empathy and authenticity. Casey Family Programs writes, one innovative approach that has emerged over the past decade is the use of peer mentors or parent partners who serve to bridge the gap between parents in a complex, often challenging and overwhelming system. Doctors Elizabeth Anthony, Jill Dwar Barrick et al. from the University of California at Berkeley found in their research that parent partners selected because of the successes they have experienced in overcoming obstacles, in changing patterns of personal behavior, and acknowledging the role of the system in motivating them to reprioritize their family are important allies. Because of their shared experience with the system, 
parent partners may be uniquely positioned to reach out to parent clients, gain their trust, and help them access services and negotiate the complicated bureaucracy. Today, we have the great fortune of speaking with two Guidance Center staff people. Irving Martinez is a licensed clinical social worker from our Compton Clinic. He's also the supervisor to the Guidance Center's team of parent partners. Joining Irving, we have Arlene Escobar. Arlene is a parent partner supporting families and engaging in client outreach from our Long Beach Clinic. Welcome, Irving and Arlene. I'm really, really grateful to have you with us today. And although I know both of you from our shared roles at the Guidance Center, Irving, you in particular, I, we've certainly met before, we don't know each other well. So for the benefit of, of, for my benefit and for the benefit of our listeners, could you both please say a few words about yourselves? Uh, yes, Trisha. Uh, my name is Irving Martinez. Uh, I am a licensed clinical social worker here at the Guidance Center. And I've been here at the Guidance Center for about five years. And you're at our Compton Clinic, correct? Yes, I am yeah. at, at the Compton Clinic. Excellent. And Arlene? Hi, I'm Arlene Escobar. I am a parent partner in uh, the Long Beach Clinic office. And I've been with the Guidance Center uh, since early February. Great, thank you, and welcome to both of you. I'm just going to dive right in. Um, Irving, as you know, we've had parent partners in our full-service partnerships or FSP programs for, for many years now. That's a, been a core part of the program. That program serves our families with the most intensive needs, but we were lucky. We recently got a federal grant that really allowed us to expand the parent partners across the whole agency beyond just FSP. But, you know, as a clinician who out of Compton does serve some FSP clients, what do you see as the role of parent partners in your clinical work? How have they helped you and the families that you serve? I think that they're just an extension of, uh, of who we are as a, uh, as a clinic and then also just the treatment team as well. Um, I I fully appreciate their efforts as far as working with these families. Um, not only the, do they help our families just get some resources when they need it, but also um, at times I've been able to learn from them. Right there's there's opportunities for for our parent partners to um, develop a, a relationship with these with these parents with these families uh, a relationship that at times. As a clinician, it's hard for us to do. It's hard for us to do to be able to connect with these families. Um, working with some of uh, some of the parent partners here at the Compton site, I've noticed that they often come to me during consultation with a lot of information that it would potentially be the first time that I would be hearing about it. So um, I just think that they're they're vital to to what we do here at the Guidance Center. Do you think it's sort of because of the relationship they're able to form with the, with the families that it's somehow different than the relationship a clinician's able to form or what, what makes that, what is it about that dynamic that, um, that's different? I think it's just the, the empowerment piece of it, uh, making sure that they're able to provide the families with that, with those resources, not necessarily to try to let them know what to do in their everyday life, but just give them that information. Because a lot of these parents, 
um, they're capable of doing that. They're capable of uh, putting in the work for their children, for their families. Um, they just lack the knowledge. And uh, I think the parent partner stress that, uh, stress that a lot when they're able to communicate with, with them and interact with the families. Excellent. Um, you know, and th this is from both of you. I'd like to hear from both of you. But when we expanded the parent partner program, we also expanded the services they can provide for the community. And, you know, I'd really, again, like to hear from both of you. But what do you see as the role of our parent partners in helping us engage the families who need our support? How are our parent partners perhaps effective in a way that the clinical staff might not be? I can answer that. Um, the way that parent partners are effective in a way that clinical st staff might not be would be the way in which we provide source services. Um, you know, Irving gives these parents tools and um, as a parent partner, we want to educate parents about issues that contribute to the marginalization we see within our communities. Um, we want to help parents break the stigmas that surround our communities so that they can have a better understanding of things that are at stake and give them reassurance that there are solutions. What are your thoughts on that, Irving? How are they perhaps effective in a different way? Um, they usually, what I've seen as far as because of the, the new grant, uh, I've been able to see just the work and the uh, the groundwork that they they do, especially in connecting with these families as clinician, like um, we wait for the re referrals, we wait for the um, for the families to come in, but with our parent partners, they're able to do outreach within the communities, be able to um, provide some of that knowledge and just being able to uh, make parents aware as to what are the symptoms, what to uh, keep an eye on when it comes to their, their children, what is affecting them. Um, it's just, us being able to do that now, it gives us the opportunity to, like Arlene mentioned, destigmatize what mental health is and uh, also provide them with opportunities to, to be able to not only help themselves, but also help other families that um, might need some of our resources. All right. It's, it seems to me, and you know, correct me if you disagree with me on this, but that parent partners will have a credibility that in some ways that therapists might not, if we're trying to engage a family. Cause like, who are you, you dorky therapist, <laughs> you social worker, you do gooder, you like, but a parent partner, they're like, okay, this person gets me. Um, so there's some sort of inherent credibility perhaps that makes it easier for the families to trust and engage. And do you think there's some truth to that? Yeah, definitely. I, I, I agree with that. Um, as I mean, parent partners are more relatable, right? Um, as a clinician, I've had situations where it's just been, oh, well, you represent authority. You represent someone that I can't trust. Um, as soon as they hear like, oh, I'm a clinical therapist or I'm a, a clinical social worker, as soon as those words come out, then there's that, that wall that, that, um, that comes up and it's it's hard as a clinician it's hard to um to really work towards just breaking those those walls down because i mean i don't blame them it is scary yeah of course of course and our families we know are are 
have a lot of history that makes it quite understandable that they may not want to trust authority figures, perhaps. So it, it makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, as a parent, I'm a parent myself. I have 19-year-old twin sons. Um, they're still my babies, even though they're 19 now. Um, I think it would be just terrifying to have a child who's struggling emotionally, behaviorally, academically, socially, you know, all the elements and things that we see in the kids who come to us. And we know that self-blame and shame can be really powerful in our parents. And, you know, adding to that, our families are understandably disenfranchised and perhaps mistrustful of authority or the system and realistically to many of them, we do represent the system. And, you know, also many come to us involuntarily. They're ordered by a judge or the kid's school says, if you want your kid to keep coming, you have to go get treatment. So how does that play out in the families we're trying to engage? How do you see that sort of manifested when you're trying to form a relationship with these families? Yeah, you know, we we're talking about like authority figures or the system. And I see this dynamic in families we are trying to engage in treatment all the time. Um, you know, parents, guardians, and children can be hesitant to receive treatment because the lack of trust, you know, that we were talking about. Um, it's not easy, um, especially e not easy when treatment is involuntarily or ordered by the judge and their lack of understanding of the process of starting treatment or even talking to a stranger, you know, as Irving mentioned, like, it's terrifying, you know, and I know it was for me as a college student when I was starting the process of, like, going to therapy, you know, and I was at a four-year, um, I was attending a four-year, you know, and I thought, oh, therapy, and I know mental health and wellness, you know, I understand all these things. Um, but it was still terrifying for me. So I can only imagine how parents, guardians and children in our communities might feel. And, and Irving, how do you see it play out with when you're trying to engage with the families because in your different role? What I've seen, especially when working with uh, families that have been ordered to mental health uh, services, I see this um, this distrust, not only in the clinician, but also the services that we provide. I think it, for me as a clinician, I, I address that. I address that right away as far as like um, just letting them know that at times it can be hard being told what to do and attend and receive these services. Um, but it's my job to make sure that I develop that trust with them, right? Trust goes a long way, especially with our families that we that we work with. So uh, for me, I, I focus on just being able to talk about the trust. How do we build it? Uh, being accessible to them and understand, right? Um, that's one of the biggest things that I try to, to work on with my families to show that um, that level of understanding. And if there's moments where I don't understand their perspectives or their situations, I'm willing to learn, right? I always tell them, um, you let me know if I'm, if I'm mistaken, Correct me if I'm wrong. I'm willing to learn from from all of you because they're they're the experts in their life. I, I think that's exactly right. Um, they are the experts in our life, and you know I think sometimes as a system we can forget that we can get like I know better somehow. Um, 
you know, I went to school for this. I know better somehow. And so I appreciate the humility of what you said just now, Irving, that they in fact are the experts in in their own lives. But when you're trying to break through that that wall, um, how do parent partners help you in doing that? They bring that that component of like this person gets me. This person does not represent authority figure. Um, at times, parent partners um, are almost a representation of who they are, right? Um, and I think that's that's the one thing that our parent partners are able to do and help us and help me as a clinician, just being able to um, just break down those walls and develop that trust in, in a much easier easier way than than without them, without the parent partners. You know, you know, Arlene, back to you. I think one of the, I think, really beautiful elements of a parent partner role is there's this premise of a shared experience um, that our parent partners have a perhaps different level of understanding of where the families are coming from. Are you comfortable sharing with us what brought you to this role? Like what experience do you have that you would consider a shared experience with the families we're serving? Yes. Um, you know, growing up, I was a child growing up in these underserved communities, and I was that child struggling in school, you know, and I had that parent who needed help, you know, and they didn't know where to turn to or where to go. Um, thankfully, we have a lot more resources now, um, and a lot of things are talked about. And um, we're normalizing a lot of things that we, you know, didn't talk about back then, which is good. Um, and, you know, growing up, um, I felt like I was always being punished for things rather than being helped and getting the proper treatment or care. And, you know, fast forward to me as an adult, like I see the remnants of all those things that were left untreated as a child. And, you know, I've been working on myself now as an adult, <laughs> you know, I do therapy and, you know, I'm going to continue to do so. Um, and I wanted to take this role as a parent partner because, you know, I seen my family and peers struggling and I also struggled even as an adult. And um, I wanted to take this role because I wanted to give the people in my community hope and give them um, or remind them that they are not alone and that healing, you know, essentially is a collective effort. I just absolutely love that answer. I found that very inspiring. And, you know, I, I consider hope to be sort of the, the code word of the guidance center. So I love that that's a part of what you see your role to be. So thank you. You know, one thing I, I wonder about, though, you know, as clinicians, we talk about and learn a lot about sort of our boundaries in our role. And they can get tricky, even as, you know, clinicians where the role is different when you're going into the homes and like, oh, I'm, I'm a clinician, there's this professional boundary, but here I am sitting in their living room. And, you know, it's a, it's a different sort of relationship. And I, I feel like in some ways that would be even harder 
for our parent partners because the role is again different and you know as you're going in there are you a friend are you a neighbor are you a professional so how do you sort of navigate your role or your boundaries in those relationships so thankfully so far it has not been difficult to navigate <laughs> my role and my boundaries as a parent partner um i feel like you know every time i start work as a parent partner i kind of put my parent partner head on you know and um yeah I always just try to go in there and i be try to be present and you know i always try to acknowledge how i'm feeling during that time and that moment and you know with acknowledging that like i know what i have the capacity for and um just really just go from there and thankfully i haven't you know received any pushback from any families or anybody that i've engaged with and i think that just going in there with grace has really helped me <laughs> going in there with grace <laughs> oh i love that <laughs> That's wonderful. And, you know, Irving, you recently, I, I believe just when we got the grant, took on the role of supervising the parent partners. Am I correct in that? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I'm very happy that you did that for us. I'm very excited for you. But how do you help our parent partners with boundaries in supervision? Because you know, I think there could be the tendency, let me do this for you. Or, you know, I grew up, I knew how, I know how to navigate this or, you know, how, so how do you help parent partners um, or support them in maintaining the, their professional boundaries? It usually happens during uh, supervision, individual supervision, group supervision. Um, it gets to the point where we're, when we're in supervision, we talk about just, um, our own lived experience influence our, our job, whether voluntary, involuntary. Um, we we do bring that up a lot during supervision, just have an open conversation because it does tend to happen, right? Lines can get uh, blurred at times and being aware of our own biases, our own uh, perspectives regarding mental health, uh, what is the best solution for, for certain families, um, I work on being able to have the parent partners acknowledge that we're here to help. We're here to assist these families, right? We don't want to fragilize them because they're capable. They're capable of, of accessing the resources. Um, we're just there to provide them with assistance and um, also provide them with the respect that they deserve and not letting them know, hey, this is how you do uh, this is what you need to do to get better. No, it's how is it that we can help you to get better? That's an important difference, isn't it? In mm -hmm. terms of how empowered the client, you may end up with the same goals even, or the same process, but the difference is it's client driven the second way and therapist driven the first, isn't mm -hmm. it? That's such an important distinction. I'm glad you said that. Um, you know, over and over again, as I was reading the research about parent partners um, preparing for today, I kept reading that in focus groups, et cetera, like, wow, how did the parent partner um, positively impact the care, the treatment? And over and over, I kept reading as they are really effective at instilling hope 
in the parents they support, which makes it so neat to me, Arlene, that you brought up the word hope um, a few questions ago. And, you know, how do you think a parent partner brings hope into the room, perhaps differently than a therapist might? Yeah, I feel that parent partners are able to instill hope in parents. They support more effectively than a clinician by the way that we are able to give them additional resources. And with doing that, we are essentially, you know, giving them their power back. You know, I know a lot of the times because they are part of this system, they might feel powerless. And with giving them these resources, um, you know, it's giving them that hope back to them, you know, it's that hope being returned to them. You know, the more we do outreach within our communities, uh, we are able to become more familiar with their needs and um, we are able to build a bridge between what is missing and finding a solution. So it gets rid of that feeling of almost learned helplessness. Yes. Like I have this this deficit or this thing that's lacking and you show them, oh, there are resources and I have faith that you can do this. Right. And it supports, you know, their decision making in the process of all this. Much of the research on parent partner programs demonstrates an unintended but positive outcome in child serving organizations. Having parent partners on clinical teams changes the culture of organizations to be more respectful and inclusive of parental roles and decision making. Casey Family Programs writes parent partners can convey information on how to meaningfully instill family-centered and family-driven philosophy and principles into practice and policies. They may serve to help humanize parents and facilitate a culture shift over time as staff come to view parents in a more positive light and believe that they are capable of meaningful and lasting change. The Berkeley study conducted by Drs. Anthony and Dwyer Barrick found that clients felt supported and informed about their experience with the agency and empowered to take control of their circumstances and make needed changes in their lives. They believed that their experience with the parent partner gave them a voice in decision making and helped to support their relationship with their children. They found further that the principles upon which parent partner programs stand partnership, family engagement, joint decision-making, and empowerment to change indicate an important paradigm shift for children's services. I think there can be a tendency in children's mental health um, sometimes for parents to, to be actually, or at least to feel disempowered in the treatment planning and the decision-making around their child's care. And overtly or otherwise, uh, therapists may feel that they know better. And families may feel that the therapists don't understand. They haven't been there. How have you been there? You have, you have this master's degree. You're a therapist. How have you been there? How do you know what I'm walking? And, you know, we don't really share our stories necessarily all that much. Um, but also over time, I think therapists can get jaded about the parents that we serve if, if we're not careful um, so I'd, I'd like to hear from both of you, um, and Arlene, I guess you first, um, 
what would you say to therapists listening? A lot of our therap- a lot of our listeners are therapists. What would you say to any therapist listening about how they can truly empower parents in the treatment planning process? I would tell therapists, you know, just really listening and um, giving parents or guardians a voice and making them feel like they are genuinely being heard will empower parents in the treatment planning process. Irving, do you have anything to add to that? How do you make sure, you know, parents are really engaged as we're doing? You know, we can do our treatment plans, and yes, we have to have the parents sign them. That doesn't necessarily mean it was really family-driven. So what do you do to make sure that uh, we're really family-centric in our treatment planning? Uh, I try to make the parents feel like they're they're a vital role in, in their children's success. I think that's one of the things that during the treatment plan, I, I stress a lot. I stress a lot and make sure that um, that they they feel a part of it. They feel a part of the treatment plan, a part of the treatment. Uh, because when I when I interact with all these families during the uh, treatment planning or any other session, I always want to get to the point where um, they feel included, right? They feel understood, that both sides feel understood, not only the parents, but also the the children that we serve. Uh, as far as my recommendations for, for therapists, it's just um, taking the time to reflect, to reflect on on your own biases when you're interacting with a, with a parent, uh, and then just your upbringing. Be aware as to how that plays a role, right? The counter-transference and just making sure that we're able we're able to just talk about it openly during supervision or uh, during consultation because it does it does play a role. It does come in whether we at times like to admit it or not. Um, things do come up for us when in when we're interacting with families, especially when working with uh, with individuals and families who may represent us at times. Right. Absolutely. For our non-clinician listeners, could you explain what countertransference is? Uh, usually when, when we're interacting with families, especially when it comes to, uh, I guess, topics regarding mental health and we're having, let's say, a session or a conversation um, and they share something with us, it usually um, stirs something up in, in us, right? An emotion, our thoughts, um, and then just it starts impacting our, our way of, uh, of our viewing these families and also how we treat them. It, we become less subjective, don't we, when our own buttons get pushed and we're human, so it's always going to happen. Yes. I used to say when I did clinical supervision, you have to be present times two in the session. You have to be present to the process and you have to be present to your own internal process. Like, what am I feeling? What's that all about? And am I still being objective? And, and that, that can be, it can be hard to balance all of that. But do you guys think that, and I don't mean just the guidance center, I mean the, the children's mental health system, do we honor the role of parents enough in the system? Do we respect them enough and honor their role enough, or could we do better? I think it's getting there. Um, it's always going to be a 
a work in progress here, especially in honoring our, our parents because they've, they've personally been through things. They have their own uh, lived experience and it is going to impact how they treat their children or how they interact with us. So um, just being aware and having that shift in our culture as to how important every single family member is um, in the system and then just making sure that we're able to not only help them identify, but acknowledge that they have strength. And Arlene, anything to add to that? Do you think we honor parents enough or what could we do differently as a system? Yeah, as Irving mentioned, um, I definitely feel like we are getting there. Um, you know, we are becoming more aware of a lot of things, you know, and um, I know that there are a lot more parents, and I see this all the time, where parents are more willing to start some sort of treatment. And so that's a sign, you know. It is, for sure. And um, yeah, I have hope, you know, that they feel heard and feel empowered. Um, yeah, we're getting there. Are there any practical things you can think of that agencies can do to be more authentically family-centered? I think really just actively giving families a role in the process, even children. You know, I feel oftentimes children are kind of left out in the process because, you know, when people think of children, they're like, oh, they're children. You know, we need to make yeah, decisions. What do they know? Yeah, you know, <laughs> like we need to make decisions for them. But, you know, giving children their autonomy, you know, I think is really important. And I think it'll not only help them, but their families as well, or parents or guardians, so that they have a better understanding of their children as well. Excellent. Irving, anything to add there? I would just add that when, when in interacting with families that are part of the mental health system is be humble, right? Being humble and recognizing that um, there is advantages, disadvantages um, in general. And that's one of the things that we need to, we need to be able to understand when, when coming in contact with these families, because, um, we don't know their background. We don't know, um, their history. So just being for us, not only as the as an agency, but also in general, um, being willing to, to be open to learning. And I, I think too, being, genuinely strength-based all of our families whatever their struggles have strengths right and to build on those and help them unlayer those and unbury those and just believe in them believe that they have the capabilities I think that's really important um how about success stories do you guys have a success story about uh, Arlene, perhaps one you can tell, or and Irving, maybe a time you partnered with a parent partner and where there was a positive impact on a family because of the parent partner role? I do have a success uh, story. Um, I was able to get access into Lydia House, which is a shelter for women and children here in Long Beach. And, you know, it's a space with 
very vulnerable individuals, you know, who are not very trusting of the system that we were talking about earlier. And some may not trust anyone in general because of their life experiences. Um, when I went to Lydia House they, to give a workshop, a woman there had shared with me that she was hesitant to join the workshop because she thought I was a part of CPS. And she thought of me as being, you know, this authoritative figure that, you know, could somehow interfere with, you know, her life. And I noticed that she was observing from afar and she came closer and participated in our talking circle once she saw that I was able, I was there to discuss mental health and wellness. Um, I think sharing my own personal life experience, it made it easier for her and just everyone in that room um, for me to relate to them and vice versa. And um, because of that experience, you know, I was invited again and now I'm actively, you know, in contact with their case managers and some of them have, um, some of the women there and children have even started the process of having the children start treatment at the guidance center. And, um, you know, Irving has helped me with that because I'm always, you know, <laughs> um, asking Irving, you know, they ask me this question, like, you know, how can I help them? How can I support them? And Irving um, has very has been very supportive of that, which I really appreciate. Uh, two things. One, just a practical thing for our listeners who may not know, CPS is Child Protective Services, and that is something we get quite a lot, that families are afraid that we will remove their children. Um, but I have to tell you, I had no idea you're going to Lydia House, and I could not be more thrilled about that. It has bugged me for years that they're right next door to the guidance center. And like, why have we not formed a closer relationship with them? Every one of those kids could benefit from mental health services. They're homeless, the struggles of those families. And um, every time they're literally right next door to us. So I could not be more thrilled to hear that you are doing this. I didn't know. So I'm really, really excited. And yes, those are families that of course are going to be reluctant to seek services because they are afraid. They're feeling very vulnerable. They're homeless. They're afraid they're going to lose their kids. So I'm just absolutely thrilled that you're there. You just really made <laughs> my you. day. Um, Irving, do you have a success story you'd like to share? Yeah, um, I I still recall this this case in particular, a case that I had about two three years ago, and a parent partner was assigned to to the case with me. Um, the family was just struggling so much just to keep afloat uh, when it comes to their finances, when it comes to their um, their children's educational success um the family felt so disempowered so disempowered and was not trusting of anyone um the education system had failed them so uh it left a it left them a print and when i added the parent partner um i saw the work i saw the work that she she did she focused on helping the mom see that there was there was those strengths in her that although the system had had let her down that those strengths were still there and she just fought she fought for her children's success in, in school um 
she fought in order to get those uh, financial resources. Um, and our, well, the parent partner that I had was, um, was able to get her to the point where she increased her knowledge about uh, IEP process and what it, what it takes to receive support from, from the education system so much that she was going to her own meetings. She was going, attending those meetings on her own. She was wow. taking the, taking the lead and um, it got to the point where um, her, her son was able to complete high school. Wow. Complete That's wonderful. Yeah. Well, the biggest thing I think is of what you just said is that the mom learned how to be an advocate for her her own child. And that's that's a huge shift for, for our parents. So that's a great story. Thank you. Um, you know, every podcast, uh, I end on this question um, because I do think at the end of the day, mental health is about hope. So I end these conversations on a note of hope. Um, you both work with a really difficult population and families that are need, that need help, but that are slow to trust and can be difficult to engage. And what's the bright side of this for you? What gives you the hope to continue doing this work? Um, the success story that I just shared with you about Lydia House gives me hope to continue doing this work. You know, I truly believe doing this work, you know, patience is key and we must meet people where they're at in order to see change and give them hope. And the bright side is that people are receptive and that are they're willing to do the work in order to end, you know, generations of trauma and create a better future for themselves, their loved ones, and people in their community. Thank you. How about you, Irene? There's a, there's a lot to say when it comes to this question. Um, but for me, it's just seeing seeing families being able to recognize the um the strength they have within themselves and then also recognize that it if they're able to just have the resources and be able to, to um support one another that they can improve they can improve overall um and that's one of the things that I I do want to make sure that continues to happen. Um, I got into this field because I wanted to help my community and this is my community. Uh, and I wanna make sure that those those individuals, those families, those parents that we have not impacted, I wanna make sure that they're, they understand that there is hope. And I think that's what keeps me going, that um, every family that comes into the, to, to the guidance center, that they'll be provided with quality services and make sure that um, they understand that they're the experts in their lives. I want them to be able to, for them to be able to recognize that. Beautiful answers, both of you, and great conversation. I, I think you, you've both inspired me, and I think I needed a bit of inspiration today, so I thank you for that. Uh, I thank you for giving us your time and your expertise and your experience. And uh, I really think you've opened our eyes to how involving parent partners um, in the mental health system really makes us a stronger system. So I, I just thank you for your time. And I'm just really grateful that you're part of the Guidance Center team. You definitely represented well today. Thank you. Thank you.
Thank you. It's my position that by shining a light on these issues, admitting that they are in our own backyards, it will be easier for a struggling child to get some help. Ideally, we can all begin to be kinder and more supportive of each other. In My Backyard is brought to you by the Guidance Center, a children's mental health agency in Long Beach, California. In My Backyard is produced by Tricia Costales and Matthew Murray. Thank you to J. Vincent B. for original music. All other music licensed through Soundstripe. Thank you to our listeners and supporters. Please visit tgclb.org or text HOPE to 562-262-5689 to make a one-time donation or join our Hope and Healing Club to become a monthly donor today. Subscribe to In My Backyard on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.